Jesus, thank you that you are good to us. You are merciful, Lord. You have walked before us in all of the hardships and the challenges of this life. Um, Lord, we ask uh, that today you would show us clearly your glory, uh, the goodness of our Lord, uh, and that you would build us up to follow on the road with you, Lord, as we see this Jesus who walked the road to Jerusalem for us. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Start with a little story today. Uh, the year is 1904. It's obviously not actually 1904. Uh, and uh, there was this fella whose name was William Borden or Bill Borden. Now, has anyone heard of Bill Borden? Uh, I, I hadn't. Daniel was putting his hands up. Well done, Daniel. Aren't you a good Bible college student? Um, yeah, Bill Borden in 1904 graduated from high school. Uh, he was in the States. Uh, he was the heir to a really quite wealthy family in the uh, city of Chicago. Uh, and uh, for his 18th birthday, and remember 1904, so this is a huge thing, for his 18th birthday, his parents paid for him to go on a round-the-world trip. Uh, you know, this is before kind of Jetstar, remember. <laughs> uh, but on his trip, are we now after Jetstar? Yeah. Um, on his trip, anyway, he saw the uh, the terrible suffering and need of so many people around the world, of the, of the disadvantaged people around the world, of, and, and not just of people living in physical poverty, but people with great spiritual need. And he made a decision uh, at the age of 18 that he was going to give his life to meeting that need uh, in following what God was calling him to. He was going to be a missionary was the way he would have put it. He wanted to go to the other side of the world, in fact, uh, and help the poor. And he wanted to bring them the good news of Jesus that he knew they so desperately needed, that everyone needs. Uh, he didn't do it straight away, though. Uh, he actually came back to the, the States, returned to study and to prepare. He went to Yale University. And it's around this time that a friend of his is supposed to have thrown the line at him that he couldn't believe that he was throwing away his life as a missionary. Uh, and, and at this point, Bill Borden's thought to have written two words in the back of his Bible. Uh, no reserves was what he wrote in there. He was ready to lose everything he had in order to follow Jesus in what he was calling him to. Uh, Bill went off to Yale, as I mentioned, uh, always pursuing this goal of reaching the lost, but certainly not waiting until he got to the other side of the world to do so. Uh, whilst there, a huge number of people were, were touched by the life of Bill Borden. Uh, so he, like in his first year, he started a Bible study and prayer group uh, for students. And, and by the end of his first year, 150 people were coming along to this group. And by the end of his third, his final year at Yale, a thousand of the 1,300 students at Yale University were involved in these groups because it wasn't just one group anymore. Uh, during these years, he was also active in, in caring for and giving to the needy, to the, to the poor. He was caring for widows. He was caring for orphans. Uh, you can apparently regularly find Bill Borden down in the rough part of town, having picked up either a homeless drunk or both person and taken them out for a meal and to talk to them about Jesus. Uh, he met it when he said, no reserves. He gave his all. And he wrote around this time in his journal, uh, this note that just characterizes the guy he was. Uh, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. 
When he graduated, he turned down a number of prestigious job offers uh, in favour of pursuing his calling, which he saw as uh, narrowed now to reaching the uh, Muslim population of China. Uh, there was actually quite a large Muslim population of China at that point. There still is actually a fairly significant one. Uh, before leaving, he gave away about $500,000 worth of uh, well, money. Uh, and, and if you translate that into today via inflation, that's about 15 mil, uh, if, if that gives us some perspective. Uh, he was holding nothing back. He gave it to the needy. He gave it to support ministries to support the needy. And he gave it to support uh, Bible colleges and things to raise up leaders who would care for the needy. Uh, it's around the time of his departure that his father is supposed to have told him that he would never hold a position in the family company. That he wouldn't be welcome anymore. Really cut him off. And it's also around this time that he's thought to have added another two words to the back of his Bible, so that it now read, read no reserves and no retreat. He was all in. On the, on the journey to China, he made a stop. Uh, he stopped over in uh, Egypt uh, in order to learn Arabic culture and Arabic language to better reach the Muslim people of China. And this is where it takes a bit of a, a tragic turn, to be honest. Uh, whilst he was there, uh, he contracted spinal meningitis. Uh, and, and within a month, Bill Borden actually passed away. Never made it to China. Uh, shortly before his death, though, Knowing that he was going to die, he's thought to have added just another two words to the back of his Bible. Uh, so that it now read, no reserves, no retreat, no regrets. And this faces us with a question, doesn't it? What leads a person to commit to that level? To so go all in for Jesus uh, that, that they get to the end of a life that ends so tragically and so much shorter. He was 25 at the time, by the way. So much shorter of where it could have gone and to be able to say, I have no regrets. Your bit's done, Shelley. <laughs> Here at Gospel Church, uh, what we do is we walk through books of the Bible and we look to Jesus as the example uh, that we follow and the standard that we live by. Uh, that we are called to live by because of how good he has been to us. And today um, today is our first week in this new section of the Gospel of Luke, the travel narrative of Luke, after introducing this bit last week. Uh, and we said last week that Jesus here is walking toward Jerusalem. Uh, he is walking knowingly and willingly towards the cross, choosing to go to die for us. So this is an amazing piece of scripture. He's choosing to carry the weight of all that is wrong in, in me and in you, in us, and, and, and all of the wrong that we have done, uh, and all the weight of the wrath of God, the punishment of God against our sin. And he's choosing to walk there to do that. And amazingly, in this most challenging period of the life of Jesus, uh, he devotes the king's portion of his time, literal king's portion, I suppose, uh, to teaching his followers what it means to walk with him, what it means to follow him and to be his disciple. He's preparing them, preparing a people, and this includes us as well, so that when he has died and when he'd risen uh, for the sins of the world, they would go out and carry the good news of what he would have done to the world. Still our mandate today.
And here in this first part of the story, Jesus uh, is walking the road to Jerusalem, and, and, and this is what he does. He teaches us how to follow him. He prepares us so that we can take the message out and we can live as the people who walk the road with him. And so here in this first section, we find that following Jesus demands a choice. Uh, will you follow his way or the world's? Do you think it better to lose everything and to gain Jesus? Uh, in fact, we're going we're gonna to see actually four really specific applications come out here that we're going to quickly hit on today. Uh, th that, uh, that choice working out of Jesus or the world, his way or the world's way. And first, we have this story, uh, if you haven't already, Bible, uh, we have this story of Jesus at the Samaritan, uh, and the Samaritan village. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, having set out for Jerusalem, Jesus goes to uh, get there by traveling through Samaria. Uh, and and he, uh, we, we get this, this near conflict, I suppose is what you'd probably call it, uh, that might seem really foreign to us. I don't know about you, but I, I read this and it, it seems it doesn't seem like an Australian thing to do. <laughs> uh, it seems a bit odd. Uh, but the disciples, you know, what happens here? The disciples of Jesus uh, turn to him. Sorry, sorry. The messengers go ahead of him and they, they go into this Samaritan village to prepare a place for them. And we read that the Samaritans reject them. They throw them out because they're on their way to Jerusalem, because Jesus' face is set towards Jerusalem and the disciples uh, of Jesus turned to him, James and John specifically. Uh, and if you remember, these guys are two guys who have gone up on the Mount of Transfiguration earlier in this chapter and they saw Jesus with Elijah and Moses up there. And so they turned to Jesus and they asked for a bit of that Elijah goodness, essentially. Uh, you might remember in the Old Testament, Elijah is this prophet who on a few occasions calls down fire from heaven on the enemies of God. And they're going, yeah. That's what this warrants. That's the occasion, right? Uh, and, and whilst all of that, you know, the, the disciples acting that way and the Samaritans acting that way might seem a bit odd to us, really, uh, there's actually nothing at all, all that extraordinarily odd about it uh, in the context uh, of the Samaritans and the disciples. You see, the Jews, which the disciples of Jesus were Jews, uh, and the Samaritans were these two ethnic groups that essentially hated each other's guts. Uh, that, that basically covers it. The Jews were descended from the southern kingdom of Israel uh, and considered themselves the pure, true people of God. And Samaritans were descended from the northern kingdom of Israel. They had intermarried with the Assyrian Empire when they had come on through, uh, but, but they still considered themselves to be the true people of God. Uh, they didn't get along. They had competing temples, their own temples. Uh, the Jew and the Jews had declared the Samaritans to be, <coughs> sorry, cursed and separated from God. And the Samaritans had done the same back to them. Not the world's most friendly relationship, you might agree. Uh, there's this huge history here of, of national hatred. Uh, the likes of which we don't get very well here. We just don't have a history long enough to have it, I suppose. We get a little bit of rivalry with New Zealand, but it's, it's not the same thing, um, I hope. Uh, and, and so how the Samaritans respond to the disciples of Jesus on their, on their way to Jerusalem, the, the enemy's capital, it's not that surprising, you see. 
And how the disciples responded to that rejection, asking whether these Samaritans should die under the wrath of God for what they've done, it's not that surprising in the context. I'm not saying it's good, don't get me wrong, but it's not a surprise. What Jesus does is probably the surprise in this passage. And what does he do? He, he turns to his disciples, who just asked him to rain down judgment on these Samaritans, and, and he rebukes them. He tells them off. Uh, why? And, and why not the Samaritans, right? Well, it's because following Jesus demands choice. Will you choose to live out the mercy of God or the hates of the old self, the hates of the world? Will you cling to spite and hatred or will you live in the mercy of God? Yeah, Jesus had told his disciples back in Luke chapter 6, uh, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. And really that's the, the root of what he's teaching us here about what it means to follow him. You see, for those for those who have trusted in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, we have received so much mercy. Uh, our Father, God, has been very merciful to us. The Bible says when we were sinners, when we were enemies, Christ died for us. God chose to pay the price for, for my rebellion, for your rebellion uh, against him, so that we could have life with him. And because we have received so much mercy, we're called to live in that mercy and to follow Jesus in expressing mercy to others and to abandon our old hatreds. And I know that's a big call, right? Like, like some of us have people who have wronged us. And it was a big call for him to the disciples here as well, towards these Samaritans. Now, I wonder if there's anyone who comes to mind for you when we talk about this. Anyone who has been on your wrong side, maybe a person who's caused you hurt or who you have always been opposed to. Or maybe that's not it for you. Maybe it's someone who you actually got along with really, really well and you were really, really close and something fractured that relationship. And now there's just, just resentment there. Hatred, maybe. Jesus, he brings reconciliation. This is... This is a great part of the good news of Jesus. So if you have Jesus, I'd call you to pray to him to change your heart towards that person. Like he called his disciples to be changed towards these Samaritans. You notice he didn't go and say to the Samaritans, you also need to change. He, he calls the people who follow him to live in mercy towards those who they have hated. Because we've received mercy from God. Now, step, stepping back into the true story here, uh, we get this situation now of Jesus uh, and those following him on the road. We get, kind of get the impression this is just immediately the next thing that happens on the road to the next village. And here we get these three little interactions between Jesus and the people following him. And I don't know about you, but I find Jesus pretty confronting in these verses. Uh, and our temptation might be to read this and to kind of dumb it down a bit, to say Jesus isn't really saying what he's saying here. 
Uh, we just we can skip this part of the Bible, but but it is important. It's so vital that we take Jesus on the toes of Jesus. So the first guy he comes up and, and says that he will follow Jesus wherever he goes. I will follow you wherever you go, Lord. And Jesus essentially sees the naivety in these words. Uh, that he doesn't know what he's saying. And so he responds, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Basically, you need to know that the life of following Jesus is a life with many hardships. It doesn't mean that you must never have a place to rest to follow Jesus, that you can never have a place to lay your head, or that Jesus even never had a place to lay his head. We know that's not true. A number of times we see Jesus staying with people, you know, Mary and Martha, uh, on the way to Jerusalem, for instance. Uh, and he even says elsewhere that no one who's given up house, lands, and family uh, won't receive more back in this life, along with persecutions. And, and what he's talking about there is the benefit of being in the church of Jesus, of, of having the brothers and sisters around you and of sharing each other's good and caring for each other. But what he is saying is that the normal life of a follower of Jesus will include hardships. It will include discomfort. And so again, Jesus confronts us with this choice. Will you choose the hardships of following him over the comforts of the world? You know, this is the experience of followers of Jesus, or it certainly is what we're called to as followers of Jesus. We're called to experience the relational discomfort that comes from being different to others. We're called to, to experience the financial discomfort of giving sacrificially to those in need out of love for them because our God has given to us when we were in need uh, and of supporting the ministry of the church. We're called to the discomfort of living out of step with modern culture on key issues in order to obey the Bible. Um, some, quite literally, have undergone the significant discomfort of homelessness in order to follow Jesus, of loss, even of loss of their own lives, in order to follow him. But when I look back across my life, you know, there's certainly been this experience, but at the same time, I can see other Christians who have lost so much more than I ever have, maybe than I ever will. But this is the life we're called to. Next, Jesus turns to another guy and he says to him, follow me. And the guy responds, first, let me go and bury my father. Now, it's, uh, it's worth saying, like... I feel like that, on the face value, that seems like a quite reasonable request. Uh, but we do somewhat need to think through what's happening here. It, and it's worth saying, it seems really unlikely that his father is literally dead. So we're probably talking about a Jewish guy here, walking through Samaria with this Jesus guy. What on earth is he doing on that road in the first place if his father is literally dead? Uh, what most commentators think is going on here is that he's talking, asking to go home to his elderly parents. Uh, and once they've died, once they're in the ground, no offense to anyone who's elderly, uh, well, then, then he can come and follow Jesus. Once that's done with. But Jesus responds with this confronting line. I think this is the confronting line here, right? Uh, <laughs> Let the dead bury the dead. Whew. 
This is Jesus at his least PC, right? Politically correct. He says, let the dead bury the dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It's really important to remember where we are here in the story of Jesus. Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem, months from dying on the cross at the most. This guy doesn't get the urgency of following Jesus. The work Jesus came to do can't wait and following him can't wait so Jesus is confronting us here again with a choice. Will you heed the urgency of the call to follow him, or will you come up with reasons to delay him? Now, this applies to us here in, in one of two ways, kind of pull this apart, disentangle it a bit for us. Uh, for those who've believed in Jesus, we can tend to be like this guy, I think, a lot of the time. We can find, constantly find other things that are important. And, and like, it's not like, let me go and care for my elderly parents seemed like a, an, an insignificant thing. Right? We're not talking about a small responsibility there. We have things that come up all of the time that demand, hey, hey, just put off following Jesus. Put off the call of Jesus on your life a bit longer just until this is done, you know. And once you've done it, then you can. Once I've got that house sorted, then I'll, then I'll serve Jesus. Then I'll reach the lost in my community. Once I've got the job sorted, once I've got the family sorted, once I've got the retirement fund sorted, once I've got the right cup of coffin sorted, then I'll go and follow Jesus. Then I'll have dinner with that neighbour who desperately needs to know and this may be the last day. Then I'll speak to that friend who needs to know. Then I'll show the likeness of Jesus and how I act. But until those things are done, we'll know. But we need to remember this is life and death. We're not on the road to Jerusalem with Jesus, but we are called to an urgent mission. The mission to tell lost people the good news that Jesus came to save them cannot wait but maybe, maybe that's not you. Maybe, let me chuck the second category out here. Maybe you're one who has been putting Jesus off in a different way. Maybe he's been calling you and drawing you to trust in him for the first time. He's calling you to life in his name. And a, a part of you actually wants that, perhaps. But, but it just seems too difficult. Having Jesus in my life right now will just be too messy so you don't listen to the urgency of the call of Jesus to come to him and to believe. You need to know it is an urgent call. The Bible tells us that all of sin, all are flying toward judgment and you don't know when that time is up. Nobody does but God. And God graciously offers forgiveness, free forgiveness, for those who turn from sin and trust in Jesus. You don't know when your time is. Turn from sin and trust in him today. If that's you uh, here today, you're hearing these words and you're realising they apply to you, come and have a chat with me after the service. Come and have a chat with Crystal after the service. Come and have a chat with one of the Christians here after the service. We would love so much to tell you about the news that will change your life forever, to tell you about Jesus. And finally, we get to this last guy here. 
this last person who says, I'll follow you, but first, let me farewell, let me say farewell to those who are at home. Once again, doesn't seem like too unreasonable a request. Jesus, how does he respond? Sure, man, off you go. No, Jesus, he doesn't make it that easy for me here today. Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And this doesn't mean, by the way, that every Christian is called to sell your house, move to another country and be a missionary. Uh, you are called to be a missionary here and now. Uh, but as soon as you follow Jesus, you're not just called to abandon all else uh, to go to another country preaching the gospel. We, we know that because a lot of the commands in the New Testament are actually directed at what we do in our homes, what we do in our workplaces, how we live as the people of God in the everyday. And again, we do have to remember the context here, that this is on the road to Jerusalem and, and the urgency of that situation. But Jesus is again confronting us with a choice, do you see? Will you strive forward for what God has ahead for you, or will you constantly look back for what you could have had if you didn't follow him? Those who follow Jesus, follow the one who chose to go to the cross to save us, to save you and me. He didn't look back at the comforts of the world or at the uh, life of an average person, with a, a wife and kids and a nice house and a comfy chair. He didn't look back at that. He stri strived ahead to save us for the glory that God had ahead. You know, more than even not looking back at that, you know, think about Luke chapter 4 where the devil offered him food, offered him comfort, offered him power in the wilderness. And he chose that hard road for us. He said, no, I'm going to do what God calls me to. And those who follow him are called to strive forward for the joy that God gives in the work of reaching others with that joy. And not to be constantly thinking about, constantly caught up with what I could have been, what I could have done, what I could have had. And for me, the critical words in this passage, uh, I think, are uh, right at the end there. And they're, they're critical because maybe you've walked in today and, and Maybe you're here because a baby was getting dedicated or something, and, and maybe you've been here lots of times, I don't know, and, and, and you're thinking to yourself, what on earth is John on about here today? This seems like a crazy thing he's talking about. Choose hardships, choose mercy, choose to give up so much. If that's what it's about, why would you do it? Hello, Charlie. But did you see what Jesus said there? Right? In that last line, he says, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Those last few words, the kingdom of God, are so vital. You see, Christians are called to embrace this challenging life, uh, but the kingdom of God, the gain of following Jesus, is so much more than the loss will ever be. If you choose to listen to the urgent call of Jesus today to turn from running, turn from your opposition to God and to trust in him, then you might lose a lot, do you see? Uh, you might lose heaps, but what you lose will never be comparable to what you gain. 
Those who have Jesus have come into the relationship that we were literally created to find joy in. Do you know that? Do you know that you were made made to find joy in God? In the, uh, in the wonder of who he is, in the glory of his mercy and love, you were created to glory. And that is an uh, eternal reality. Think that through, you know. What you could have had in this life might have lasted the next 10 years, the next 50 years, if you're super lucky, the next 80 years. But life with Jesus goes on forever. That's not something I've yet got my head around fully. When you gain the kingdom of God, you gain everything. And so the loss is small compared with the gain. And that's how a guy like Bill Borden can reach the end of his life, regardless of when that came. And not just him, it's how you and how I can reach the end of our lives, regardless of the timing, regardless of the circumstances, and be able to say, no reserves, no retreat, no regrets. So I had the kingdom of God in my life. Would you pray with me? Jesus, lead us to believe, lead us to trust you, and to walk with you. Help us, Lord, to count the cost and to give it willingly simply because your spirit empowers us to do so and you have shown us such goodness and such joy and such wonder is in store for us. So much more is given than we will ever lose. Like like grass in the furnace is everything in this life, but your, your word and your goodness last forever. Lead us to follow you, Jesus. Thank you that you walked that road for us. I pray for all of us here today, for our hearts individually, that we would be turned in faith towards you today, that we would trust your promises are good and that you are good for you. And so we will willingly suffer the loss in order to be your people who share the good news. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.